This is the River Radius, a cultural nexus of rivers, people, and boats. I am your host, Sam Carter. Welcome. Yeah, pick up your toys before you go home and put the river back because it's the river's the public's. You know, the river belongs to the public. And FERC is required. They're required to ensure that these surrenders of the license, which is what they call it, are in the public interest and are in compliance with the Clean Water Act. We don't think this one's either. So that's why we're litigating it. It's an important example, but it's part of a bigger strategy of just where are all these dams? What's their fate? This episode is a conversation with American Whitewater. Each year, for many years, American Whitewater has published a list of the river work they will focus on in the coming year and this year. American Whitewater again put out their list. They call it the Top 10 List of Stewardship Issues for 2024. Their work is not exclusive to that list. They do other things, but this is a clear focus they want their members to be aware of. This year's list includes at minimum 15 states and 11 rivers, but really many more of each. Some of the projects are about taking an amazing river and securing protections for it. Others on the list are about increasing public access for stretches of rivers. Some rivers are at risk and need better protections to keep them clean and wild. It's all kinds of river stories. American Whitewater is a national nonprofit river protection organization with a strong membership base that is always growing. And they are one of the oldest conservation organizations doing river work in the United States. For this episode, I talked with Kevin Colburn from American Whitewater. My name is Kevin Colburn, and I live in Asheville, North Carolina. And Kevin, tell me about the work you do, who you work for, and the focus, the nature of your work. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I work for American Whitewater. We are a river conservation and access organization. It's been around since 1954. This is our 70th anniversary year. And I lead our stewardship work as the net director. We have handful of staff that work on projects uh, directly around the country and a handful more that that play sporting roles, really active roles. Um, and we do river restoration work through uh, putting water back in rivers below dams. We do conservation work through things like wild and scenic river designations. And we do a lot of public safety, and river safety work as well. And you guys put on some festivals. We do. Yeah, we put on <laughs> Featherfest out in California, uh, Deerfield Fest in Massachusetts, and uh, last but certainly not least, Golly Fest in West Virginia. Yeah. And so you all, American Whitewater has this magazine, which is right here. This magazine right in front of me. Um, it is a magazine that people get when they're members of the organization. I think that's correct, that that you have to be a member yep. to get that. Um, and it comes out, you said, five times a year. Yep. I have in my hand the Winter 2024 Journal. And inside here um, is a is an article that we're going to talk about. But can you can you give more detail about this journal, the purpose of it, who's writing it, that kind of stuff? Yeah, well, it's been around since 1954. It was uh, one of the first things we did was create the journal as a way to communicate river safety, the technique, uh, and conservation issues. So it was our primary tool to communicate with the paddling community. Uh, and now, along with our website, it still is, and it's been continuously published throughout all that time. Uh, Most of the articles in the journal are submitted by paddlers and by river enthusiasts. So it's all, um, you know, volunteer contributions, except for the pieces that are written by staff. Right. And this one has a mix of that. It has some stewardship updates some projects that are ongoing, some things that need some help. There's a story uh, about a dude who passed away. That was a big, a big part of kind of the river conservation world. There's 
some stories in here. There's some stories about surfing from Badfish and Mike Harvey, which should be interesting reading. And then um, I noticed also, I haven't read the one in the back, but there's a picture of a dude. Looks like he's got the van life going, but maybe 30 or 40 years ago. And um, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, Richard Montgomery. Yeah, he was the... You know, one of the pioneers of Boat California. Yeah, so we do like a good mix of, of you know, historical stuff, but also just lots of uh, adventures people are having today. Um, we do, we're trying to bring in more artwork. So, uh, you know, if people have poetry or visual art that is river themed, uh, we love that. And, uh, you know, it is volunteer submission. So if you're, if you're out there and you're listening and you've got stories to tell, consider telling them through our journal. And a lot of people read this. I mean, this goes to a lot of doors. A lot of people's houses have this in them. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think people really value the tactile ability to read something in, in today's world. It's nice to not look at your screen and yeah. go to touch something that you're reading. Although I do find myself trying to zoom in on the pictures um, in the magazine sometimes. <laughs> I feel foolish every time I do it. I think uh, – it's not just an eye and everyone's laughing at us. I do the same thing. Right. <laughs> but, but I do like sitting with a magazine, <laughs> laying on the couch and reading it. Or throwing it in my dry bag, too. I think that's actually a fun way to do it, is that when I know I'm going on a trip and I'm not going to read a book, but take take one of these with and share it around. Um, nice. And the other thing I, I think about the journal is that a couple of years ago, I was able to be in the the one and only American Whitewater headquarters in, what, Silva, North Carolina. And yes. on the shelf were... AW journals from a long time ago, like hardbound books mm-hmm. on the shelf. That was really cool to see those old ones in there. It's a treasure trove. It's so fun. And all of our old journals are on our website too. So if you go to uh-huh. AmericanWhiteWater.org and uh, just kind of look through our journal archive, it's, it's pretty fun. Okay. In this journal, in the winter journal that we're talking about that's that came to people's houses here a few weeks ago, um, there's an article that we're going to talk about today in at length. It's it's uh, goes from page eight to page twenty five, and the title is "Top Ten River Stewardship Issues 2024." Uh, can you tell me about what this article is, and then we'll start getting into each of those the top ten. Yeah, absolutely. It's issues that we think are really important in the coming year, so twenty twenty four. It's issues that we think are going to hit some pivotal point where that'll either make or break issues. So they're big, they're important. Um, they're usually, you know, high level. They, we try to pick issues that span the country because we do work nationwide and, uh, we try to be, you know, relevant in people's backyards. And we try to pick issues that span kind of the breadth of our work. You know, we, we want to show the breadth of our, like, the types of projects that we tackle. You know, if we talk about a dam removal project in our top 10, we probably have, you know, 15 or 20 of them around the country. And and that one that we pick will be emblematic of that style of work and that strategy. You told me that these are not in any particular order, that they're just 10 Correct. important things. Correct. And we used to do 40 oh. uh, or 45 <laughs> or 12. Like, you know, we probably work on 150 or 200 projects at any given time. So, Yes, top 10, no order. Let's do it. Okay, number one is the Clean Water Act. Give us the details. I would say tell us the, the, the river location, but this is this is bigger than just one river. But tell us what's the focus of this issue, a little bit of a summary, and then what's the push? What is the, 
the angle that American Whitewater is asking of its listeners, of of its of our listeners, of your members and people who aren't even members. What what is the action that's needed around this? Okay, great. The Clean Water Act was passed back in the mid seventies, early to mid seventies, and at the time our rivers were in terrible shape. They were dumping grounds. They've gotten better over the course of most of our lifetimes, thanks to this act. And there's been chaos and confusion around which streams are actually covered and which wetlands are actually covered by the Clean Water Act for many years. Last year in 2023, that was kind of settled by the Supreme Court. And what it did is take about half the streams in the country and half the wetlands that are covered, that have been covered for most of our lives since you know mid-70s, and take them off Clean Water Act jurisdiction. So these are you know, vast amounts of our headwaters, our desert rivers uh, that dry out during times of the year or are small um, or wetlands that are not, not connected in the way that the Supreme Court thinks they should be, and they're no longer covered. So you know, we think that what that probably means is that right now we're experiencing peak clean water, like our rivers have gotten cleaner for the last you know, 50 years. They're probably going to start turning around uh, as things get permitted on rivers that used to be protected and and aren't anymore. So really, Congress needs to act. Congress needs to fix the Clean Water Act. They need to make it more clear. They need to cover more streams. And that's only going to come through public support and push um, for Congress to act. So this year we'll be pushing out action alerts and just kind of seeking opportunities to let Congress know that the public cares about clean water. We don't want to see it go backwards. Right. So this is just a little bit of clarity. A Supreme Court ruling creates precedent. It's not necessarily a law, but it creates a precedent that then all things kind of have to follow. And so as, as one of the the three branches of government, judicial, executive, legislative, the judicial, the highest court in the, judi- in, the, in the judicial branch has set this precedent. And so until an action from Congress comes out to be different than this. This is the new path that the that the Clean Water Act has to take. Correct. Yeah, and and the further wrinkle is that the the executive branch has to implement it with rules and there's been tons of back and forth on different rules. I think it's probably like beyond the scope of the conversation to yeah. to like into the ping pong match that's been happening with different administrations and their various rules on on this, but essentially this is going to govern the future, the near future until Congress changes the law. Yeah. So avoiding the ping pong match, it's a good way to say it. What, what AW is going to push for is congressional action through the house or the Senate taking the lead and then both houses voting to confirm a new upgraded clean water act or some other companion piece that will support rivers and, and waters being clean in those rivers. Is that, is that how I take this? Correct. Okay. All right. Yep. And, and folks listening at the end, we'll talk a little bit more about like what it means to be a member of AW and how AW kind of takes the lead and you can take, take the follow and let them do the hard work and you can do the kind of participatory work. Today's episode is sponsored by AED One Stop Shop. Are you a river guide or a river outfitter? Are you looking for AEDs at a good price? AED One Stop Shop is providing a bulk order discount on their AED bundles right now that allows for complete deployment of AEDs throughout your river outfitting company. This bundle includes the HeartSign Samaritan AED, which is 2.4 pounds and is the most tolerant to dust and water. 
It also includes trauma shears, gloves, shaving razor, and a protective carrying case for your boats. To gain this discount, use the link in the show notes on our website or in our Instagram link tree to hit the landing page for AED One Stop Shop. Our sponsor today is over at Raft Covers. This raft cover is built with a heavy-duty woven poly fabric that is UV-stabilized and blocks 98% of UV light. This cover is breathable and does not flap around in the wind. It is water permeable, so rain and snow does not puddle up on top of it, and it self-heals. If you poke a hole in it, the woven fabric can be massaged back to whole. I use this over at Raft Cover on my boats on my trailer right now, and I am so glad to have this product. Use the promo code RIVERRADIUS for free shipping on your over at Raft Cover. That is RIVERRADIUS, one word, lowercase. Use the link in our show notes or our Instagram link tree to get right to over at Raft Covers. All right, turning the page. There's two things on this next page. The first one is the White Salmon River Access in Washington. Tell us about that, please. Cool. Yep. So the White Salmon River, people know it. They know it by you know the Green Trust, the Lower White Salmon, where Klondike Dam was removed. Uh, it flows into the Columbia Gorge right across from Hood River. And uh, there was a very large piece of land. Uh, it used to be timberland that was uh, bought and and is ended up has ended up in, in conservation ownership now, which is really exciting. And you know we kind of helped play a supporting role in that. Um, but with the land now protected, there's an opportunity to improve access. So that's kind of the next step. We're currently working uh, on improving access at Northwestern Park, which is kind of the the reservoir area from where Condit Dam was removed. And then upcoming, we're going to be working on improvements to the Green Trust. And we're using the Land and Water Conservation Fund primarily, which is a really big fund from offshore oil revenue that we testified in Congress and did a whole bunch of work, thanks to the paddling community for rallying on this a few years ago, got Land and Water Conservation Fund permanently reauthorized and funded. So there's money, and now it's up to the paddling community to say, hey, some of that money should go to rivers. And the cool thing about it is it can it can be for conservation and also for public access. So we're going to try to drive that big pot public money toward rivers and the white salmon's a great example of where we hope to do that and that's that's part of the game for aw for american whitewater is definitely you work on conservation but another big piece is keeping rivers accessible for the humans that want to come visit them play on them in them near them is that am i right in that in that thought yeah absolutely yeah enjoyment is part of our mission and we definitely feel that connecting people to rivers is is good for people and good for rivers too um, you know, we see all the time that the people that that speak up for rivers and, you know, work hard to, like, protect them and conserve them are people that get out there, people that love them. That, that requires access. So the third story in here on page 13 is Mid-Atlantic River Corridor protect, Protection. Can you tell us about that, please? That's a That seems like a little different one. I'm curious about this one. It is different. It's different work for us. Um, you know, it's work we're kind of moving into. I think we're kind of in the last generation where we can buy big chunks of still wild private river corridors. And by we, I just mean the collective we, like the public. Um, A lot of the rivers that we paddle, we kind of assume they're protected, assume they're public land, but many are not. Um, And they still exist in these big chunks. So just recently we, um, 
we bought 4.25 miles of river left of the lower Big Sandy River. And uh, so we actually, this was one of our top 10 issues, and we've already checked a pretty big box on this one. What state is that, the Big Sandy? Northern West Virginia. It's a classic Northern West Virginia, kind of class four, four plus whitewater run with like everyone in the region's first waterfall, wonderfalls, beautiful river. Uh, it runs into the Cheek Canyon, uh, which has also been the subject of a lot of conservation work. And we, we worked with the owner. This land used to be owned by a hydropower company and then some oil and gas and coal companies and then a timber company and then a developer. And we were able to purchase a strip of land along the river and uh, we're going to be donating it to a land trust and they're going to use that donation to buy hopefully more land in the area. And this was made possible thanks to the generous donations from the paddling community. You know, this river just matters to people. And boy, it was just such a cool project, you know, so profound. It'll be protected forever. And it's the first time American Whitewater has done that. We've, we've bought access areas before, but we've never just bought a chunk of a river. I mean, you don't buy the water rights necessarily, but you bought the kind of the riverbed and the bank. Yeah, like a corridor along river left. Like imagine it, it varies in depth, but yeah. sometimes it's quite narrow, sometimes it's much deeper. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you'll be able to portage on river left. You'll have scenery on river left. So the water quality will have a buffer from whatever happens uh, outside of that. And uh, yeah, so protecting the scenery, protecting public access uh, all along this classic river. And there's more opportunities to do that. You know, it was a new kind of project for us, but it went well and we're going to be looking for more. And certainly there's other rivers that are in a similar status where they could be, you know, sold off to somebody. And hopefully that'll that'll be the public and the conservation community. And a difference in, in terms of the geography of, of the United States is that East Coast, Midwest, East Coast has public lands, but not vast stretches of it. And so a lot of water, a lot of riverways run through private land, whereas in the West, a lot of rivers still do run through public land. They also run through private property. But the key, the the importance of being able to purchase lands in the East and the Midwest is, I guess, maybe more important and different than those concerns in the West. Yeah. And and I also would say that like some of these river gorges are in big parcels still, which is very rare in the East. You know, most of the East has been kind of carved up in a little teeny tiny lots and whatnot, but some of these river gorges are still in, in big, big pieces of land that could be bought. And so AW has, you all have your eyes on a handful of these places that are still big chunks that you can pursue. Yeah, we do. And are you working Is AW working with, like it seems like a lot to ask of members to throw down little chunks of 10, 20, even $100. Are you working with bigger foundations to do these purchases? We are. Yeah. We're also, you know, working very closely in this case with the West Virginia Land Trust. Uh, we also work closely with the Conservation Fund uh, and Trust for Public Lands and other projects um, that are just much bigger organizations. And, you know, we do everything we can to to work with other people and other entities and and this was just an example of where we could just move fast and um make this thing happen so uh, yeah ideally we we work in like a broad partnership with other people that have much bigger budgets than american whitewater mm-hmm. uh, all right next on the list turning the page we got number four locksaw area wild and scenic protections while the locksaw is in idaho this one covers two states 
tell us tell us what's going on here yeah it's a little bit wonky from a policy standpoint um this is national forest land and you know there's national forests all across the country every 15 to 20 years uh these forests have to make a new management plan and when they do they've historically um always protected a, a roster of rivers a list of rivers as eligible for wild and scenic. These are just rivers that the Forest Service says, these could be wild and scenic someday, which means they're free-flowing and they have one uh, really special value. And the Forest Service commits to protecting those. And this comes out of the Wild and Scenic Rivers Act, not as explicitly as we'd like, but it does, where Congress had said, um, we need to protect a system of, of potential wild and scenic rivers, these eligible streams. We've used this process all across the country, here in North Carolina, Montana, um, Colorado, California, to protect thousands of miles of of potential wild and scenic rivers. So it's a really cool way to elevate rivers in a forest plant. Idaho and Utah have a new idea, and that is to add a new layer of analysis on top of their eligibility findings that employs basically politics, internal and external politics, to permanently release these streams from protection. Idaho just did this. There were 29 eligible rivers in the Nez Perce Clearwater National Forest, which is Locksaw, Clearwater, Selway, Lolo Creek. So from the 90s until today, there have been 29 eligible streams, and they went through this forest planning process. They got 750 public comments in favor of additional eligible streams. Thank you, paddlers. It was you that did that. Um, incredible public comment and support of, of protecting more streams. And uh, they found 89 eligible streams during their process. So the public did a great job, you know, almost tripled the number of eligible streams the Forest Service was going to protect. And then kind of out, not quite out of the blue, but still shocking as they did this other level of analysis Forest Service did and only protected 12 rivers. So we went from 29, we thought we were gonna go up to 89 and they cut it down to 12. So really, really disappointing decision. You know, if the Snake River dams ever come out, which I hope they will and I think they will, this is where the salmon are gonna return to. Like this is some of the best habitat, cold water habitat in Idaho, uh, in the whole, you know, like Columbia system, amazing whitewater runs. So they, they're really into their own discretion and ability to kind of do more of what they want without protecting the river in these, these areas. So American Whitewater, American Rivers, Idaho Rivers United, other groups um, worked together. We all objected to this forest plan, uh, which is basically an appeal. And um, that's under consideration now. We'll have sort of a hearing uh, here in a month or two. And we're asking paddlers to send an email to the regional forester, uh, Leanne Martin, who is the the person who will be considering our appeal and making this decision. Um, You know, the public process is over except for this objection process, which is pretty formal. Um, So these emails would really just be personal pleas um, asking for, for river protection here. And we're hopeful, but um, who knows, you know, who knows what will come of this appeal. And if, if people want to engage is the best way to go to AW and, and search out this article and this link, or is it just 
to me, it always seems so hard to find out who you're supposed to write a letter to and what you should say. Uh, what's the best path for people to follow? That's the best path. I mean, Idaho Rivers United, AW, um, American Rivers, we all have action alerts out right now on this. Um, and I'll just say, like, the Pali community rallied super big for this. Like, they did their job. Like, the, the public comment was overwhelming. So, um, you know, the fact that this is the outcome just means the agency doesn't really, they're not really that concerned with our perspective. But maybe the regional forester will be. We have one more shot before it just is a final decision. Um, so yeah, go to the website, look for Loxall, look for Nesbur's Clearwater, and send uh, Leanne Martin a very respectful email that's just really more of a personal message about how important these rivers are. Okay, turn the page, and now we're on to the Dolores River, which is right here in my, this is what I consider my home river. It's fun to see these pictures and, and hear this conversation. Tell us what's going on here with the Dolores. Yeah. Well, my colleagues, Hattie and Kestrel, have been working on the Dolores for many years, you know, trying to improve the flow of the river, which has been imperiled and and really just, uh, I guess you could say, hammered, you know, really challenged for many, many years uh, since McPhee Dam was constructed. But right now, there's a, there's a real opportunity to protect the landscape around the Dolores, which is an important step. It's one of the biggest unprotected areas in Colorado, and really just a just an underprotected river in general. There's two different pathways right now that are kind of on the table for protecting this this piece of of Colorado. One of them is the is an NCA, which is a National Conservation Area, and that would be a congressional designation. And we're we've been working on that for quite a while. And there'll be opportunities for the public to engage just in your typical congressional, like write your congressman uh, this year, there'll be opportunities for that. We're really excited about it. Um, and then there's this other pathway to protection, uh, which would be, would cover a larger section of the river, uh, which is a national monument, which is something that the president can, can define and designate. So two different pathways to protect a special place, one congressional, uh, one through the president, um, both could move, uh, one could move, the other could move. And, you know, we're just, uh, we're going to put our, put our effort wherever the traction is uh, this year and plug people in and hopefully advocate and, and score a pretty big, important land conservation win. And this bill, Senator Michael Bennett from the state of Colorado has introduced this. It's not just sitting, it might be sitting idle in the moment, but it's, it's had a lot of propulsion and is, there's a lot of people yeah. behind it still. Yeah, it's a real thing. Yeah, yeah, no, it's absolutely a viable, a viable path forward. And you know, you mentioned you mentioned Hattie and Kestrel. That's Hattie Johnson, Kestrel Coons, who are the Colorado, Colorado-based, Central Rocky-focused American Whitewater folks. They're both doing huge work on this, and there's a lot of other groups. Um, and it also extends back, I want to say, to when Nathan Fay was on the team doing the work um, with American Whitewater. Can you speak just briefly to the other groups? I think this is an important one to talk about how American Whitewater is deeply engaged and there are so many other groups on the ground in the region that are that are helping with this push. Can you talk about that some? Yeah, sure. Um, and you, you actually being local may know more than I do about kind of the mix of groups working on this. Uh, but certainly, certainly the Dolores River Boating Advocates are a big force in this project and their you know local advocates affiliate club for American Whitewater and then you know the tribal interests are are very active as well 
yeah, there's a lot, a lot of groups working on this. It's an important, important landscape for many people. So I don't know. What, what do you know? What else? What do you <laughs> <laughs> well, it definitely is American whitewater and it's definitely Dolores River building advocates for sure. They're doing a lot of work on it. Um, the tribe is, uh, the tribe's engaged and Ute Mountain Ute tribe down here. And, um, I think of Colorado wildlands. Um, and I think of, Oh, let's go down the list. Conservation Colorado and uh, San Juan Citizens Alliance and Sheep Mountain Alliance in the San Miguel Basin, which is a subset of the of the Greater Dolores Basin. American Rivers is helping out with that work. You know, I think the other I'm gonna I'm totally missing out on a couple of groups, but one of the key things to this one is I mentioned I mentioned Nathan's name because this goes back decades. There's so many mm-hmm. years of work going on to bring all the players to the table, the ag community, the county commissions, the state representatives, the federal representatives for the state, and they don't all agree. <laughs> and it seems to shift. It seems to shift. But there's this consistent effort to bring all these players to the table. And it's further along than it's ever gotten. Yeah. Right? It really does seem to have real momentum, real opportunity right now. And, you know, a lot of times these legislative um, and administrative issues, I think of it as like you're pushing on a locked door so that if someone ever unlocks it, mm. it flies open and you fly through it. Yeah. And, you know, if you're not pushing when that door unlocks, you won't even know that it was unlocked and you'll never get through the door. You know, it just takes constant pressure. You just build support. Um, it's It's a lot to maintain that level of public support. You know, it can be can be exhausting over time but i do feel like this and with really like a lot of our top 10 issues we we pick the ones where there just seems to be this this building uh building pressure towards an outcome i think it's a good way to put it and i think another thing it's important to say on the dolores is that this is not about the water in the river flowing that that's a that's a separate issue super complicated very tightly held water rights this is about from the water's edge up and over the canyon rims protecting those landscapes from potential big logging, big mining operations that could come in the future. Uh, big might not be the word, but different things that could happen to the landscape that does impact the water quality in those places. And it just keeps it beautiful because it's a really incredible place. Cheers to that. Cheers to that in the home river. Uh, okay, moving on. I'm going to make the, the page turn noise because that's fun. Page uh, 18, number six, hundreds of river miles in California at risk from proposed hydropower sell-off plan. This one sounds complicated. Tell us what's going on. It is complicated. Uh, Pacific Gas and Electric, they own a lot of dams across California. And they, you know, they've they gotten in uh, financial and legal trouble uh, regarding fires and power lines and all kinds of things. So for a number of reasons, they're looking to um, essentially offload some of their hydropower assets um, which are dams. And they're dams where American Whitewater has worked for decades to secure hydropower licenses that provide environmental benefits and recreational benefits. And, you know, maintaining a dam, a lot of these dams are 60, 100 years old. It takes a lot of resources. And we're, we have concerns that this sell-off could kind of lead to dams that should probably be removed because they've lived their mechanical life and their useful life. Maybe this, whoever ends up with these dams could end up just trying to like milk more power 
out of them over time that could have real public safety risks uh, by not adequately maintaining them, um, you know, not really doing right by the environment, just not having the resources to to own these assets that are in the middle of a river in a stressful environment that, you know, they could fail. They could have all kinds of problems that um, could lead to, to environmental impacts and potentially loss of human life. So we're really concerned about this issue. Um, we really feel like there needs to be a, a more organized way of either managing or removing these, these dams over time. So this, this transition of ownership of these dams sounds like it's kind of in the initial phase and so people can pay attention and and be ready to engage when it's time. That's right. Yeah, we're not quite sure how to plug people to this one yet, but we're we're watching closely. We've we've filed some comments. You know, we're we're definitely trying to stay on top of it. And there there probably will be a public process around this at some point this year. Okay, turning the page. And next we have uh, number seven. Again, these are in no particular order, but number seven, the uh, wild and scenic North Fork French Broad River in North Carolina. Tell us about this river, like where it is and how it's, it's, it's a wild place, but it's also an urban place. And then the greater issue here. Yeah. So the French Broad flows through Asheville, which is where I live, sort of one of the, the centers of whitewater boating in the country where you can run any difficulty of whitewater every day of the year, pretty much. Um, lots of boat companies around here, gear companies, you know, watersheds here, Astral's here, um, Liquid Logic's here, Piranha's just over the hill. Like lot, lots of companies are based here because the the um, rivers are so good. The French Broad's sort of the, the marquee river that flows through town and the North Fork is its headwaters. Uh, it's upstream near Brevard or Rosman, North Carolina, maybe, um, I don't know, 40 miles upstream or something like that. It's a good after work trip for people that live around a lot of Western North Carolina. The river flows through a really pretty gorge uh, in the North Fork. There's just like three and a half to five mile long, really pretty river with very classic, unique rapids like boxcar falls and submarine and the clog. And it's kind of a after work, really popular, uh, really classic kind of class four plus whitewater run kind of bridges from like, river running to creek boating it kind of helps people get from one to the next yes yeah, so that's the river and i started working on forest planning like 10 years ago we more than doubled the number of wild and scenic eligible streams here in north carolina with the new forest plan that came out like a year ago and we we kind of looked at that list of of eligible wild and scenic rivers and said hey let's let's designate some of these let's let's go from eligibility which is sort of like being engaged let's, let's get married, you know, like let's, let's turn it from just a, you know, kind of a short-term commitment to a long-term commitment that has some, some gravity and some celebration and some commitment around it. So we are working on a wild and scenic campaign, which would require congressional action. It would be an all Republican bill with Republican County commission support. And we're right now working at the County level. And as soon as we secure uh, County-level support for this wild and scenic bill, we will try to move it through Congress. Um, and I think if we can get a bill, I think it would be definitely pretty easy to move in Congress, just given the way things work uh, politically. And uh, there is a ton of public support, ton of local support, um, but we want to make sure we we kind of move slow and intentionally towards designation. And I'd say too. 
this is emblematic of a handful of wild and scenic river campaigns that AW engaged in around the country. You know, working on Wild Olympics in Washington State, Montana Headwaters Legacy Act in Montana, um, some bills in California. It's a big way that we um, kind of celebrate and protect sort of the last best rivers in the United States. And so people can just pay attention, get engaged as they will, um, as this as this kind of emerges more. Yeah, when we have a bill, we're going to tell everyone about it and everyone can support it. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely do. We'll like push out action alerts when we get, when we get a bill. And those come easier. Those action alerts come easier when people are members because they can come as emails, and people can also watch. Like if people follow your American Whitewaters Instagram, Facebook, those also show up there, and you don't have to be a member. Um, That's right to participate there. While membership's yeah. awesome, not everyone's a member, so there's there's definitely different avenues. Today's episode is sponsored by Over It Raft Covers. Right now, my boats are inflated sitting on a trailer and they are covered with a raft cover from Over It Raft Covers. This is my first season using this cover and it is so much better than the ridiculous plastic tarps I used and destroyed for years. This Over It Raft Cover is perfectly shaped for my boat, it has slots for the oar towers, and it has solid D-rings sewn on to secure this to the trailer or to a raft. These covers are designed and sold by Kevin, a river runner who likes to keep his boat well protected and ready to go on the trailer. Use the promo code RIVERRADIUS for free shipping on your Over It Raft Cover. That is RIVERRADIUS, one word, lowercase. Use the link in our show notes or our Instagram link tree to get right to Over It Raft Covers. Our sponsor today is AED One Stop Shop, River Guides and River Outfitters. AED One Stop Shop is working with the River Radius to offer you pricing to get ready for this coming river season. AED One Stop Shop has been working with River Outfitters for 10 years and they are providing a bulk order discount on their AED bundles right now that allows for complete deployment of AEDs throughout your river outfitting company. AED One Stop Shop is a national dealer for AEDs, working direct with manufacturers, providing lightweight and portable AEDs for specific needs, pediatric, adult, bilingual. To gain their discount, use the link in the show notes on our website or in our Instagram link tree to hit the landing page for AED One Stop Shop. Turning the page, number eight. Klamath Dam Removals Restoration. This is in California and Oregon. This is an ongoing project and River Radius. We did a couple episodes last fall in 2023 about the, the teenagers from like in, inside of the Rios the Rivers program that are learning to paddle this river from top to bottom. Indigenous teens who will, will be some of the new caretakers of that river after these come out. And these, these dams are coming out. One of them, the small one's gone. Just recently, I think the lower of the of the three remaining got blasted. the The tunnel got blasted out. The water's moving. Drawdowns mm-hmm. happening right now, where they're lowering the reservoirs. So, what's this about? Because it feels like that the issue's done. Like we know the dams are coming out. What is this topic that you're presenting in, in this in this top ten about? Yeah, that's all right. Yep the dams are the dams are coming out. Uh, one's out. And the river is actually flowing unimpeded through the other three dams right now. And I think that the Rios to Rivers issue that you brought up, which is just extremely cool, um, first of all, um, I just think it's one of the neatest projects I've heard about in a long time. It's emblematic of what this year is about, which is how, how do people reconnect with the Klamath River following dam removal? 
And it, it's something that wasn't given a whole lot of thought when you, when people are planning dam removals, they really focus on the, the engineering, right? It's, it's a feat, it's complicated. And just getting the engineering right is really hard. Um, but we recognize that, that people are going to want to see this river. They're going to want to experience it, whether it's from a tribal connection standpoint or uh, a recreational standpoint, you know, whether that's paddling or fishing or hiking or overlooks or trails or whatever it is. So this year is really about, um, I think it's about a few things, but one is just celebrating the incredible success of this largely tribally led effort to remove these dams and restore salmon to the Klamath. I mean, is just an awesome success story and we should celebrate that we need more of that and we need more dam removals there's going to be a lot coming so uh celebrate this year and then really help plan and implement river access and river use management on the klamath river um, that's really going to be the focus and i know there's a huge project happening the the preparation work has been happening and as soon as the water is out of these reservoir basins, the work to plant native trees, native bushes, flowers, grasses will begin immediately. Because if they don't, if, if, if they, the humans, don't plant these native plants, invasive species, mostly like weeds and trees and bushes that take uh, kind of dominate landscapes quickly and probably potentially take more water than they need to. Maybe I'm assuming on that last part, but... The, the work that is that has to be done to reclaim the land in the riparian zone is and the upper the upper upper lands as well is huge and that's is that also part of what you're talking about in, in here yeah yeah absolutely no I mean the restoration work is is going to be of an epic scale the river will will find its old channel and cut its old channel but there's going to be work that needs to get done around that one of the things we're really proud of and and happy about was there were trees actually removed from the middle of the river in a reach that had been dewatered for for many many years through these dams so by the dam removal entity going in and removing some of these trees like cutting them down and helicoptering them out basically for dam removal now the water's in the river and it has a real channel to flow through what a great example of foresight and how we can kind of jump jump the restoration project ahead you know restoration is always about just moving moving the timeline ahead towards a more natural self-sustaining system so and planting like you're talking about is a big part of that as well mm-hmm. yeah that str- i saw that stress where y'all were pulling out those trees all these layers of it okay klamath is uh getting free next on the list is number nine lower colorado river basin dam operations Huge conversation that keeps going on involves a big chunk of the Southwest United States. What's going on here? What are are y'all looking at here? Yeah, it is. It is a huge, very complicated project. I mean, the nice thing this year, there's actually going to be a fairly organized study by the Bureau of Reclamation around how Glen Canyon and Hoover Dam should be managed. This is sort of the longer term solution, if I understand it. Um, And that's going to have significant analysis to weigh in on uh, and then probably alternatives by the end of the year for the public to weigh in on and actually, you know, provide public comment about how they think these rivers should be managed. There's so many competing demands that are wholly incompatible with one another for this river. But part of our job, I think, as the paddling community and as American Whitewater is to really like 
keep the river as a stakeholder in these conversations. You know, you think about the Grand Canyon, you know, when you hear about the water fights in the news um, over the Colorado River, you don't really hear much about like, oh, and by the way, it's a river. You know, you hear about the cities and different industries that are competing for the water. Um, but, you know, we're going to we're going to keep a sharp eye on on what happens to the river and all these alternatives and um, what happens to, you know, recreation in the Grand Canyon, but really the river itself. And and I'm curious, I mean, you probably you live in this world more than I do, so you may have thoughts, too, but I mean. You know, we we kind of were cruising towards a solution, and then they, we had a good snow year. Um, <laughs> you know, and it kind of gave everybody a little breathing room. But it it seems like this Bureau of Rec study is going to be um, potentially a pivotal pivotal moment in the future of the Colorado. Yeah, the good snow year. I mean, it was a huge snow year. We would if if the Southwest, if the Colorado River Basin had those, that kind of snow year every year, would, there wouldn't be. I mean, the dams are inherently causing huge problems because they they take away the riverness of the river and uh, that's a thing the other problem is that it's the arid southwest that doesn't have consistently huge flows the math was all a mess that was used to create these dams but the uh, I, I think you know i live here and i i think pe- people say how's it going i say oh it snowed it's snow there's snows on the ground and it just is yeah. always such a relief of a feeling to have snow on the ground here um, because it one it looks nice, but really you just kind of know deep in that there's some water. There's some water stored up for the hot, dry summer for for the land for all the all the things that need it. And I think we we in the West um, in the Southwest kind of have this appreciation when there's a big snow year, but we also quickly revert back to the kind of um, uh, this tickling fear that happens when there's not water and um, when there's not snow when there's not rain and we start to feel it and we start to get nervous and everyone else kind of gets nervous. It's not real talked about always, but it's happening. And I think, I think there was a lot of concern that people were going to ignore the greater concerns of the Colorado river basin because of the big snow year. But I think, I think we, we more often than not have thin snow years. And so I think we know it's it's still to be watched. This this snow year's been okay. It's been okay. We just got some snow on the ground again here. The thing that I am noticing, I think a lot of people are noticing, is that it's warm. We've had a lot of rain this winter, which is always weird. It should be snow. I mean, should be. I don't really know what that means, but it's winter. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it, you know, I think in lots of years past, it was it was it was rain. It was, I'm sorry, it was snow, and this year it's rain. Um, although it did it did turn cold enough. It's definitely a warm, a warm, wet winter in a lot of parts of the West. Yeah, right. It's not unheard of, but it is definitely happening more. And I think the vibe I feel here this year is that it's a warm winter with with uh, stretches of cold and snow, whereas last winter was a cold, wet winter with small pockets of of dry and and, yeah. and warmer times. But this is a different winter. There's a reckoning coming on the Colorado. We don't know how, but maybe the Bureau of Rec study will will help shape that reckoning and help help advance it yeah i i think so and i think a lot of folks here know that like it just doesn't work the way it's going it's gonna it's gonna break it's gonna give something has to change and it'd be smart if we got ahead of it yeah number 10 on your list the last one on the list is uh salmon falls river dam removal new hampshire and maine what's going on what's up there 
Well, there's a it's a hydropower dam, and the dam owner wants out. You know, they want to they want to be done generating power, and they asked the FERC, which is the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, if they could just kind of unplug it and be out from under jurisdictional, you know, jurisdiction of the federal government. And FERC said, sure. Yeah. Un- unplug it basically. Um, unplug it from the system. So it's no longer correct. Cr- creating power for the grid. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's what happens. Like if you're a hydropower dam, you're regulated by the federal energy regulatory commission. If you're not generating anymore, it kind of falls to the state, you know, under you know, who knows what standards, but, you know, basically like really coarse dam safety standards, but it, the, the regulation of the dam is so much weaker if there's not hydropower on it. Um, so in this case, FERC said, sure, um, you can, you can unplug it and we'll, we'll absolve you of, of jurisdiction. And, uh, we appealed that and, you know, we've been, chipping away at this for a number of years this this idea that these hydropower dams are built often the land is condemned using eminent domain they're you know operated on a public river for corporate profit for 100 years or however long and there's like no process at all for how to get these dams out of the river when they've served their purpose made their money and they're done and you know right now there's you know there's tens of thousands of these things on the rivers around our country, they're all aging. They're economically, a lot of them are, are upside down or soon will be because of wind and solar. It's so like, what's the process for the end of useful life of hydropower dams in the United States? And right now there really isn't one. And, you know, there's no like reclamation bond or there's no, you know, there's no federal process that says you've made your money, you've made your power, uh, your asset needs to be removed from the public resource. You need to restore the river. Have a nice day. Like they, they don't do that at all. Um, and we've challenged it in a number of different ways, but we're really starting to kind of sharpen our, sharpen our pencils and get down to work to try to, to try to change this dynamic because it's a, it's a emerging issue that's only going to get more important over time. What you're saying is going back to this, this salmon falls, dam and this hydropower company wanting to unplug they want to unplug but not take their equipment they want to leave this dam in the river and just walk away and that's normal that's like the normal path that's normal and so you're wanting them to unplug and take their their tools and their equipment their dam with them you said it much better than i did yep (laughs) yeah yeah they they should get their stuff out of the river like you know yeah pick up your toys yeah, pick up your toys before you go home and put the river back because it's the river's the public's. You know, the river belongs to the public, and yeah, it should it should go back. And FERC is required. I say FERC, it's the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. They're required to ensure that these surrenders of the license, which is what they call it, are in the public interest and are in compliance with the Clean Water Act. We don't think this one's either, so that's why we're we're litigating it. Um, but it's part of a it's an important example but it's part of a bigger strategy of just where are all these dams? What's their fate? So in some ways, this effort by AW is not just a one-off, hey, this one dam should go away, but start to change the pattern, the pathway that when a, an energy company owning a dam wants to leave and quit making power, that they take the dam. If it's not sold to another person, if it's not sold right. to another company, if it's just going to go dormant and sit there, 
to take the dam out on on a regular pattern into the future. Yeah, yeah, it should okay. be it should be worked into policy. The policy now does not serve the public. So, mm-hmm. and we've just been hearing for years, no, that's not our policy. It's like, well, it's time to change your policy. <laughs> you yeah. know, it doesn't work. All right. And is that one? Is that something that people can engage on right now, or is that something where people stay tuned in and, and engage as AW prompts? Yeah, that's probably just a keep supporting AW kind of project. There's not a public there's not a public process around that right now because it's it's already gone to court, so it's kind of kind of beyond the reach of of public pressure right now. Yeah. So that's the list. That's the list of ten. Yeah. You said it could be forty. It used to be forty. I'm sure that we could come up with lots of these lists. And I think the point is that maybe AEW expresses, but I don't want to speak for you. But the point that I think about is that it's not just these 10, that there's things in our backyards, our local, our local rivers have all these things we can engage with and that there's value in a river runner associating with a river conservation group. And I want to get into that in a little bit about like how people can become a member of AW and what that means. But I want to ask you, you told me last week when we were kind of prepping for this phone call that you've been doing this work with American whitewater for 23 years. And I think you said for the greater part of your life, something like that. So why, why are you so engaged that you have made this, your, your, your career path, your life work for so long to do river conservation, river access work? Great question. I mean, I love rivers, you know, I have a direct connection to rivers through paddling and, um, I have since I was a kid and I just, I feel, um, and I also have a joint love of restoration ecology and nature, um, that, you know, sort of my, more of my schooling background. So I kind of had this toolkit of being able, uh, to affect change through, you know, my knowledge of ecology and policy. And then I have this love of whitewater rivers. I never thought they would create a job where I could do both, but they did. And, and I got it, uh, in 2001 and, I often joke it's kind of like marrying your high school sweetheart, you know, it's like pretty awesome. Uh, still, you know, I love my work. Um, somehow it all, it was like the right choice and still is. Uh, my colleagues are all like brilliant people that are super passionate. We're, you know, encouraged to be creative and take, take risks. Sometimes, you know, we're, we're allowed in this organization to like dream big and, um, push hard on things and be, yeah, just be really creative and passionate about what we do. So for me, it's, it's been an incredible forum to explore what I'm capable of and what the paddling community is capable of. And, you know, just seeing the amount of change that our organization has put on the landscape and on rivers in the last 20 years or or more that I've been here, it's profound. I mean, I've been able to work on all the, the dam relicensings here in the Southeast. And there's, you know, there's all these recreational opportunities now and, and rivers that have water in them that didn't um, when I moved here for college. And, you know, just seeing that kind of like change for our community and for the rivers has been pretty awesome. It's pretty, I feel, I feel very fortunate to be able to do it. Like I know other people could do it and do it well. I just feel really fortunate that I get to, to like be in this role and, um, you know, feel the, feel the support of the paddling community as much as I do, um, which is a lot. And you paddle, you're out on the rivers, you got, you have kayaks and all, and, and you like to get oh, up and mess around. Yeah. 
everything that floats. I like it all. Yeah. yeah. I pack craft a lot, kayak, I row, everything that floats. I love it. There's like always fun to be had. <laughs> An American whitewater is interesting. I mean, y'all are across the country. You lobby mm-hmm. in DC, you have offices. I mean, people's kind of home offices, but you have nationwide relationships with rivers, river managers, river regions. You have a presence. Uh, you have this journal, you have thousands of members and you put on the biggest river festival, the golly, you put on other festivals. And I just looked on your website and it's like, I thought it was 12 people that worked there. The website suggests it's 11. I mean, what's going on with American whitewater that y'all are a small staff with a huge impact on what's going on with river access and conservation. Yeah, we're insane. Uh, <laughs> short answer: we we try to do a lot. Um, yeah, we just try to do a lot with with what we have, and we have a lot of passion, and we're really strategic. Um, but we also have a huge network of volunteers that help us on projects, and you know, paddlers that rally when it's time to send in letters, and they send in these like you know really heartfelt detail rich letters that that get the attention of lawmakers and decision makers and um you know have our our industry supporters that help lift up our our messaging and like we definitely are like bigger than you know i don't know we we're smaller than we look i think and uh i've had i've had power companies think we had like a k street uh you know building in dc and i just kind of let them think that um (laughs) You know, <laughs> instead of like, I'm, I'm working out of my office right now wearing two different socks, you know, like it's, it's pretty funny. My home office. The other thing about AW is the collaboration. Like you are this group of 11, maybe it's 12, it's a mysterious number, but you're this small group with this huge reach. But the other value is that you don't expect to stand alone, that you you have these affiliate clubs or it's listed in the back of the magazine here. There's all these yeah, affiliate to, clubs everywhere and all the state, not yeah. all the States, but a lot of States. 80 to 100. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a huge network. And then you also work with the other big players in conservation at state levels and then at national levels. And all of you team up on projects. And I, yeah. I guess, you know, just if you can briefly touch on the value of collaboration versus not collaborating. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you have to, I mean, we, we collaborate with, with power companies and the forest service and legislators. Like we collaborate with a, a lot of people that maybe, you know, you, you might not think, um, because still in this country, best idea is made and it doesn't matter where they come from. And that's amazing, right? Like that's democracy at its best when you can show up to a meeting with a hundred people and everybody else is billing 500 bucks an hour. And you say, Hey, I have an idea about how to fix this flow in this dam and, and, and then that's the idea that carries because like everyone kind of scratches their head and say, oh, oh, wow, that's a pretty good idea. So I think we we collaborate with with a lot of people, both in power, but also just partners. You know, I mentioned with the Nez Perce Clearwater, we're partnered really close with with American Rivers and Idaho Rivers United. We helped form the Wild and Scenic Rivers Coalition in 2018, which has turned into just a wonderful group of nonprofits all across the country focused on wild and scenic river designations and protection. We co-founded the Hydropower Reform Coalition, which is kind of a similar big collaborative group of nonprofits that work on hydropower issues. And that's proven to just be, you know, a real, no pun intended, powerhouse of work. Um, 
on the hydropower sector over many years. So yeah, and our affiliate clubs and members and volunteers, like it's, it's super cool to be such a small organization and be able to do so much. And so we've talked a lot today about this AW journal, the American whitewater journal that's right here, the winter 2024 issue. And that if a person wants to receive this magazine, this journal, they do have to join American whitewater and become a member. And there's various stages, levels of membership. I know that you can do the simple 35 bucks a year and mm-hmm. you get these you get these various things. Can you just talk about how to become a member and maybe some of the different, uh, I guess, perks or things that you receive once you give your money to AW? What you're going to get back as a as a member? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, membership is thirty five dollars uh, for a standard membership. It's a little less if you're a student, um, and you can join as a family for a little more, and you can give at higher levels than that too. You know, I always think like we're, we're more than a $35 product. <laughs> if you think about what you get, if you think about that compared to a day at the climbing gym or a day at the ski area, um, you know, we make rivers run, we open river access areas, we protect the scenery. Like we do a lot of rad stuff for the paddling community and it's distributed through everybody's backyard and everybody's vacation destination. So um, really what you get for your membership is free flowing, and predictable dam releases you know you get like you get great rivers and we're going to keep it that way um you also get the journal five times a year um in print um if you give more you get little incentive gifts but really we're, we're based around membership being you know philanthropic being supporting your organization and through getting that journal as a member perk i would say also we have a website americanwhitewater.org and you can go there to join and donate to our organization, learn about our conservation issues. But we also have like the Wikipedia of Whitewater there mm-hmm. where where you can see details on over 6,000 Whitewater runs across the country or the maps. You can add photos. You can edit those pages. You can add trip reports. Please do. It really helps us advocate for rivers when there's good photos and good stories and descriptions of these rivers. Um, all across the country. So that's another great way to contribute to American Whitewater's ad content to our website after you join or donate. So yeah, please, please join, please support American Whitewater. We, we love it. It makes our community bigger. It makes our reach bigger. Sign up for our newsletter, which comes out monthly uh, and gives more like advocacy opportunities and follow us on social media. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Anything else that you think we should cover in this conversation? Oh, good question. Um, vote i would say you know like it's an election year so learn about learn about candidates ask candidates about rivers and how they feel about rivers and how they feel about the clean water act and help us help us do a better job representing whitewater rivers by engaging but yeah no that's it i think we covered a lot excellent all right well kevin colburn american whitewater thank you so much for coming on the river radius and telling us about this top 10 list in the journal and aw and talking through all these different stories All right. Thanks, Sam, and have fun on the river this year. Thank you. A beautiful Riverside thank you goes out to Kevin Colburn and American Whitewater for exploring this top 10 list with the River Radius. We have two sponsors today, AED One Stop Shop, providing volume and outfitter discounts on AEDs. We are also sponsored by Overt Raft Covers. These are the best protections for your boat this spring when it is not on the river Use the link in the show notes or on the sponsor page of our website and in our link tree to get to both of these sponsors. 
American Whitewater is online and always accepting new memberships, and you can find their link in the show notes. All River Radius social media is supported by Samantha Sice. All River Radius music comes from the lap steel guitar of Gene Reiniger. Be in touch anytime. Hello at theriverradius.com. Thanks so much for joining The River Radius. I'm working out of my office right now wearing two different socks. I've had power companies think we had like a K Street building in D.C. And I just kind of let them think that. We try to be, you know, relevant in people's backyards. Like everyone in the region's first waterfall.